You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Hi, I'm Michael Pincus, the grape guy from MichaelPincusWineReview.com, and you're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine. And with me, of course, is the always affable... Andre Pru from AndreWineReview.ca. Perfect. Uh, Andre, I think we're going to get right into this one because this hopefully won't be uh, won't be too long. But um, at the beginning, uh, well, I guess through the month of April, it gets to be a busy time of year. And um, we were both at uh, some wine tastings that were fairly major, I would say, coming through the city of Toronto. And I'm talking, of course, about the California Wine Fair, the Austrian uh, tasting, and county in the city. It's been a crazy few weeks, that's for sure. That is true. So I thought maybe we would talk uh, briefly about what we uh, thought was, you know, uh, pretty fantastic at the shows. Well, and I, I think it's interesting that we can talk about two, because uh, one thing that we just sort of pointed out is, uh, because I still work a day job as a producer at Newstalk 1010, uh, I don't get a chance to make it to a lot of the trade tastings, which happen often during the daytimes. So I had a chance to attend the uh, consumer portions in the evening where people will buy tickets and walk around and do the tasting. And uh, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, just because the type of writing I do, uh, you know, especially when I'm writing for outlets like the Torontoist, uh, I prefer to taste with regular consumers just, just to see what people like and, and, and what's going on. And I mean, it's just nice to taste with people who are not necessarily all that serious. Although uh, I, I should say with the California tasting, it certainly does bring out uh, a more stuffy clientele than a lot of the other tastings I go. And I'm sorry, that's no dig at uh, at California wines. It's just you're, you're talking about the evening portion. I'm talking about the there. evening portion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because during the day, it's um, I, I really I really don't know any good word to put it. Uh, it is an absolute zoo. Uh, it's a madhouse. And to be honest with you, uh, I'm, I'm considering not going next year at all. Uh, because within half an hour, there are so many people that, that it's impossible to taste anything. And, and, and I heard a lot of people say that, and there was a lot of jostling and pushing and shoving. And when you're 12 deep at a table and it happens at every single table, it's, it really is, I don't know what California is doing in the afternoon. And I think anybody can get in. Anybody with a pulse can get in. There was and, and, no security, and I think you had the opposite in the evening. Yeah, it's really too bad to hear that. Like, it was very well attended in the evening, but... I mean, there was never a huge lineup to get to any of the wineries, and there was still room to kind of walk around. Like There were tables that weren't particularly busy at any given time, so if you had a winery that you really wanted to taste, and there were a couple people waiting there, you could walk on either side of them and generally get a chance to taste something. I, I had people come up to me and say, I don't know if I remember coming back here again. Uh, I've had people, I've had, I had restaurateurs say to me, you know what, I'm just going to meet the two guys I said I was going to meet, and then I'm getting out of here. I, I, can't, I can't taste anything. So it really is. I think they've really let the afternoon go. I, I, uh, you know, yeah, there was pre-registration. I didn't have to show a card, show a ticket. They basically said, throw a card in this bucket and walk in. And I know people who were, you know, uh, not even standing in line, waiting to get in. There was no checklist, no anything. If you, hey, if you want to go to a wine show and you just want to look like you're there, you can walk into the California show at any point in time. And it's like I said, I had the opposite effect in the evening. So maybe next year, Michael, you should come with me to the evening portion. Maybe, maybe that's the thing. Uh, but uh, I know that a lot of people were very upset. But that's being said, 
um, I was able to find a few wines that I, I did enjoy. And uh, I'm going to kick this off by, I know we've talked in, in the past about liking Zinfandel, and you yes. are a little more simplistic when you have your Zinfandel, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? I just like Zin in general. Yeah. Uh, I liked uh, I liked the Klein Cellars. I thought uh, they showed three single vineyard Zins that were absolutely stunning. Big Break, uh, Tehama, and Live Oak. All three, absolutely stunning. All different. Uh, I would I would buy those in a heartbeat. Fantastic wines. Fantastic Zins. Let's be honest. Um, Klein I, is really really up their game and raising the bar. Well, talking about Zin, um, there's a winery that really stood out for me across the board, and that was uh, Biroshino. Okay. And they had a really interesting Zinfandel that was um, everything that is not what you would expect from California Zin, which is a little bit more bold, brash, and in your face. Uh, Alex, the winemaker at, at Biroshino, has made this just unbelievably gorgeous and elegant uh, old vine Zinfandel. I'm, I'm going to assume, looking at the, at the brochure, this is the St. George old vines, correct? Uh, yes, that's correct. The yep. St. George old vines. And I mean, this wine, it's, I think, if I remember correctly, around 13% alcohol and wow. just soft and, and elegant. Um, the acids were nice and, and high on it. And it was just, it was almost a shock to the system because it's everything you don't expect in Zinfandel. Yeah, I, I can't say uh, the same for the Klein. The Klein had, you know, big 14% plus alcohols, but, you know, the, the elegance on them was, was pretty good. You couldn't tell of the alcohol. That was the nice part about that. Well, in, in the lines of, of Zinfandel, like I know Ravenswood, which are known for their Zin, they had a, a few kind of entry-level Zins that were there. But one thing that uh, really stood out was their Icon, which is uh, a, a mixed – they call it mixed black, the, the field blend that they make. And I don't know if there's any Zin in that particular field blend. I, be I believe there is a little bit. But but it's the sort of wine that kind of falls in, in along those lines. And the thing that's really interesting about this particular wine is it – once again, has this really beautiful, elegant finish, while still maintaining that 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 strength and power that you generally expect from from Zinfandel. I I do like uh, I do like Ravenswood. I think they they're doing a great job. And hey, no wimpy wines there. <laughs> I I have that bumper sticker on my cooler. No wimpy wines. No wimpy wines. Nice. Uh, and then of course, what Cal you know what California show is not uh, complete. With uh, all the Chardonnays and Cabernets, because there were tons of them. I don't know if you went through the book, but I think uh, I think every winery had at least one or two cabs and one or two shards to go along with it, and then of course red blends. Um, so I would uh, I would single out K Momi. I don't know if you tried their cab 2013. Uh, it usually comes into the LCBO, so I can't uh, say that it's not going to be good. Or I I believe it it either has been already or is coming again. Uh, I tried the Rutherford Ranch Cab 2013. Thought that was very good. And something I'd never even heard of, uh, Jay Davies uh, 2012 Cab. Again, really, really good cab. Um, actually, I'll be perfectly honest. I went with uh, my girlfriend's sister. She was my plus one with me to the event. And she wasn't really digging a lot of the, the California Cab. So I actually did not spend a lot of time focus on the California cab because I know that it's something that is is worth worth checking out I think some stuff that really stood out I'm taking a look here well I think the real story for me and this is something I wish it didn't cost so much money uh, because I'm a really big fan of California Sauvignon Blanc 
And I mean, I think people still have this perception that a lot of California wines are big and flabby, but you're getting a lot of really great Sauvignon Blanc that has this really nice acidity on the finish. So they're definitely doing something right with that. The only problem is most of them are pushing up $20, $25, $30. And it comes down to the point, again, where when you have New Zealand bringing a lot of really good Sauvignon Blanc into the LCBO under that $20 mark, it's hard for me to justify spending that kind of money for for Sauvignon Blanc. Well, it wasn't always that way. Uh, like the uh, Sauvignon Blanc coming out of New Zealand used to be twenty and above. So uh, it's nice to see New Zealand bringing those Sauvignon Blanc prices down, uh, and that they're they're enjoyable. It used to be that the you know the ones that came in at sixteen and fifteen dollars were you know kind of either over the top or very bland. But I'm glad to see that uh, that there's some really good Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand coming in at about twenty bucks or so. And the last thing I just want to make a note of before we move on to the next tasting, uh, I have made absolutely zero secret of my disdain for California Pinot Noir. And that being said, before anyone texts me or emails me or whatever, I get it. They have their own style of doing it in California. It's uh, putting their balls on the table, if we want to put that expression out there. Uh warm overcooked more like merlot which, than it is which like you Pino. always like to do and i like to grab a hammer when you do that because i find that really disgusting that you're putting them out there like that but one, once again going back to uh birishino <laughs> i'm just gonna pretend you didn't say that going back to birishino <laughs> they made a gorgeous lilo vineyard pinot noir that tastes like pinot it's soft balanced uh still still has a little bit of warmth in the fruit profile so things are very ripe but not overripe like a lot of california pinot and if you're a fan of ontario or burgundy pinot find a way to get your hands on a bottle it's completely worth trying i uh i i get i get what they're doing in california also and i don't always uh, love the uh, the style, but there are some really good ones that come out, and they really stand out. I think that's that's what you can definitely say about about California Pinot. I'll save them for you. That's all right. Oh, I think you uh, you said you liked the La Crema uh, not too long ago. I did like the La Crema, and they were not at the show. And the La Crema was really interesting because it strikes a really great balance between California and kind of a more Burgundian style. Uh, totally agree. It's 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 to be honest, it's a little bit warmer than even the Birichino. The Birichino is the closest I've tasted to a cool climate Pinot from a warm climate. I, I like the La Cremas. I find them, you know, usually pretty nice. So, all right, let's move on. Uh, there was the Austrian show, yes, which, uh, which also happened, and uh, we don't see a lot of Austrian wine in, in Ontario. No, and, but after uh, this tasting, what we usually I... see is going to be Gruner Vetliner. Yes. Gret Liner, or however you want to pronounce it. Tasty wine. Uh, but it's, for short, it's Gruner, just like a Gewürztraminer would be Gewürz. For a Gruner Vetliner, it's Gruner. And, um, you know, uh, if nobody's ever tried Gruner out there, you get a lot of Peapod notes, a lot of um, uh, citrus notes. Uh, I don't know, uh, you went to the show, did you, did you notice a lot of... Um, sameness to Gruner? Did you finally, you know, get an idea of what Gruner is all about? I, actually, Gruner is the one Austrian grape that I, I've got a good handle on, and it's. Um, I, I guess I, I was thinking of you a little bit while tasting it because it reminds me a lot of Pinot Gris, but a little bit more interesting on the finish. Like it, it has a sort of floral flourish when it, it rolls off the back of your tongue, and it it starts with a lot of mineral notes from what I was tasting. 
But if you're expecting a wine that's just going to kick you in the face with, with tons of fruit flavor, Gruner is not the wine for you. Yeah, no, I never find that uh, that Gruner is a kick in the face of fruit flavor. I find it very citrusy. I find a good one has got uh, kind of an herbaceous, kind of a pea pod note. Um, but the minerality on some of these is fantastic. The acidity is great. It is a summertime wine. No doubt. It's not the wine that you're going to go shovel the driveway and then come on in in the middle of January and go, man, I really feel like a gruner. I'm just trying to picture that. No, I'm, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to agree with you. Um, but I guess without getting into, into too, too, many, too, too, too many specifics, the, the big thing for me that was a huge surprise was how good a lot of the red wines were. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I did too. I noticed that uh, there was some good Zweigelt. Yes. Uh, and there was some good Saint Laurent. Uh, the ones that I'm never a, a fan of, and I, I shouldn't say never because sooner or later you're, you you could become a fan. It was Blaufrankisch. I don't know why. I just never find a good Blaufrankisch. Uh, but uh, Saint Laurent and Zweigelt, there are some fabulous ones. Well, and they are pricey for the ones that I liked, but there was some really good Pinot there too. There yeah. weren't a lot of them. There were only a couple, but man, were the good ones good. Yeah, yeah. And I know a lot of people were tasting a lot of Riesling. Uh, they do a heck of a lot of Riesling in uh, in Austria, um, and then of course they do a lot of red blends with Saint Laurent, Weigelt, and then they throw in a little bit of Cab and Merlot. Uh, I think if they get too high in the Cab and the Merlot, um, you know, it can start to be a little more on the green side. Uh, because you know this is not a hot climate, so those grapes probably struggle to uh, to ripen. No, and that's the thing but, is, I mean, having never been to Austria, it's hard to picture in my head what exactly their growing season is like. But going in there, not expecting anything from from the red wines, because I mean, we do get the odd Gruner that makes its way to the LCBO and vintages section, but we don't see a lot of that uh, Zweigelt and Saint Laurent. We see a lot more Gruner than we do of those other varietals. I wasn't sure what to expect for for red wines, and I'm I'm really hoping that we get to see some more Austrian red wines make their way to the vintage shelves. It would be nice. I don't know if you got to try that, and this was kind of a shock to me. I guess I shouldn't be surprised that this grape is growing in Austria, but but it's doing really well. And we talked about it earlier when we talked California, but Sauvignon Blanc, and I tried. Uh, they had three at uh, this winery called Sattlerhof. I don't know if you got to try them. They they had three, I think they were single vineyard Sauvignon Blancs, outstanding Sauvignon Blancs, and not the usual stuff that you get. Well, and, and here's the thing. I, I thought the Sauvignon Blanc was good, and, and Sauvignon Blanc is something that I'm really, really starting to love just because it, it's such a, a great grape for expressing terroir. But uh, I found the Sauvignon Blanc from Austria just a little too acidic across the board. It was like tasting lemon juice. That being oh, see, said, I don't, I don't mind good acidity, especially because I can, I can imagine, you know, you're a foodie, so I thought you, you'd easily imagine, you know, some great seafood, some salads. Some, it's a summertime wine. Ooh, going back I, to that, I don't mind good acidity, but I don't like acidity when it overpowers the taste of the wine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having wines that bring out a lot of citrus flavors, especially when we're drinking things like, like Riesling. But the thing is, you get other things to round out the package. Like when we were talking about California Sauvignon Blanc, the thing that I like about it is you get a little bit of a creamy texture to the mid palate, and it starts to bring out some grassy notes without being overpowering like you do in New Zealand. I found that the Austrian Sauvignon Blanc just completely demolished any other subtle flavors, and it was just lemons. 
lemons, grapefruit, nice citrus notes. There were some that had a, a creamy texture to them. I don't know. I just thought uh, that they were interesting because you taste so much Gruner, you taste so much of this, so much of that. I was more interested in some of the off grapes. And uh, the other one that I, I, I think I texted you because you went to the evening performance. I make it sound like it's theater. Yes. But you went to the evening performance and I went to the daytime performance. Um, and I told you about uh, Pryler. Uh, and I thought they had a huge array of Pinot Blanc, which, again, you don't see a lot of Pinot Blanc because it seems to be a very, to some people, a very boring grape. You don't see a lot of it here in Ontario. You don't just see a lot of it worldwide. You see a lot of it in Alsace and stuff like that. But um, this uh, Pryler, they had three different Pinot Blancs, each one better than the next. And I thought, you know what, I, I really am starting to appreciate good Pinot Blanc. Well, and, and I mean, here's the thing about that tasting in general was um, we had a lot of these wines that just aren't available in the LCBO, and there were way more hits than misses. Uh, I left that place eager to get into some more Austrian Austrian wines, and I really hope that we uh, get some more of them into the LCBO. I, I think that's what that tasting really does. And each and every year that it is here, uh, you, you really... I think, lament the fact that we don't see a lot of Austrian wine. But as you said, they do get to be pricey. And, you know, are you willing to pay, you know, $60 for a Sauvignon Blanc from Austria where you can pay, you know, $20 to New Zealand or or California? Exactly. And it's, it's, it really is hard to, you know, want to check, uh, you know, send up, put out the shekels for that, that kind of, that kind of wine. Well, I guess let's, let's let's move on to the third tasting, and I'm sorry to rush us along, but I know we've had a few people say that they wish that this podcast was a little shorter, so let's see if we and can we, try to And we try, but man, we have a lot to say. We um, do. Now, that's County in the City is what you're talking about. Again, yes. I went to the daytime performance. You went to the evening performance. Um, I believe that during the day, uh, because it is trade and more restaurants go, they show a lot more wine. Yes. So uh, you got shortchanged in the uh, wine department. Yes. A little bit. Yes, a little bit. Uh, but we're bringing this back to home. Prince Edward County, obviously, county in the city. Uh, I know it, it was off to Ottawa also. But, well, and, uh, and you know what? I'll be perfectly honest. It was also difficult to hit up every winery that I wanted to visit because I was at the Austrian tasting earlier in the evening and had to do two tastings in the same evening. So I wanted to make sure that I could make it to uh, make it to both. So I, I did sort of rush through both of them to taste through as many things as I could. Um, but so yeah. Right now, so right now, I guess to make this uh, this short, is there any way you could come up with either a top three or a top five from this tasting um yeah i think i could i think i could rock out a, a top three and i i know you're not going to agree with some of them actually you're probably not going to agree with a lot of them because it's just going to be a whole lot of chardonnay <laughs> oh, i mean that's great uh rose hall run the 2013 jcr rose hall vineyard chardonnay is i think the best that they've ever made um, uh, it's, it's now here's where I go. Here's where I'm going to say I sadly agree with you. It's elegant while still holding up uh, just a crap ton of flavor. You've get you got vanilla layered over top of uh, some nice citrus flavors. But the thing is, even even with that acidity, it's just everything just feels elegant and restrained. It's like looking at a a perfect photograph of I don't know just something like a perfect photograph of a flower just something really delicate that's just held into place by everything that that's supposed to be there 
I, I, I will I will admit to you, I really liked that wine. But I had tried it before, so I didn't count it in my top in my top five. So now I'll let you yell at me because I fell in love with the Stanners Chardonnay. Uh, I, I tried it, and uh, I will tell you that I wasn't that big a fan of it. Uh, but I will... I, I really want to come out and say that the glassware there, and some people call me a glassware snob, was absolutely atrocious. It was absolutely the worst glassware, uh, and I, I don't know why people are moving away from um, ISO glasses to try and make it look so fancy with these glasses, but they are they are just horrible. They make the wines taste – anyway, I'm, I'm not going to get on that rant because that's a, a topic for another day. We could definitely but, talk about uh, how important. I think, how important I think in a better glass, that Chardonnay would have showed better to me. It, it it for me is just like everything I look for in a in a county Chardonnay. It just had this funkiness over top of you know oranges and 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 lemon and vanilla and just this like dash of of spice to it. Like you know your nutmeg and 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 allspice. It was just I just really like that wine. I'm looking forward to drinking that a lot this summer. I. And you got one more on your list, you said. All right, taking a look at my list. I think I'm going to have to go with the Clausen Chase 2014 Vineyard Chardonnay. The Clausen Chase Vineyard? Yes. All right. Okay. I do have a top five. As I said, there was just more more wine at my uh, at my show. Um, so I'm going to start also with the Clausen Chase. And now, before you get on my case, because uh, there are a plenty of chardonnays on my list you really can't you know start telling me about my anti-abc or my anti-chardonnay uh because it'd be like going to a burgundy show and saying oh you like chardonnay you know what i will i will seed that to you and i will refrain from my usual um peanut gallerism all right because there's a lot of great chardonnay being made in the county but that's what they make pinot chardonnay some pinot gris and sparkling wine. That's really what they're they're really getting known for. And um, uh, they didn't have a lot of sparkling wine at the event, which I thought was unfortunate. But what can I say? Yeah. So I'm going to start with Claus and Chase, the 2014 The Brock Chardonnay, which is the for, for the first time under screw cap, which I thought was interesting. They're showcasing it as a wine to drink sooner, although I think it'll, it'll hold up quite well um, over a good five years. Uh, but it has everything that I, I really like in, in that Chardonnay. A lot of vanilla cream, uh, some lemon, some peach, 16 months in oak, but a, a, but a very elegant 16 months, not over-oaked. And they have a new winemaker at Claus & Chase. I don't think we mentioned that. Oh, I actually didn't know that. Keith Tires, I think it is. So uh, good job. Good job uh, for Keith. This is his first vintage that he's done all by himself. So really great. Uh, my number two, uh, Huff Estates 2013 Pinot Noir Reserve. Uh, I thought that was a fabulous Pinot, and I think it's the, uh, I want to say it's the first vintage off of their own property and their first reserve. Interesting. And and so uh, I think um, I think Fred is doing a fabulous job there. Uh, of course, he's a French winemaker from Burgundy, so uh, he better be doing good Pinot. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I did I did enjoy that Pinot too. It just it did not make the the top 3. The Pinot from Clausen, which is so pale but so f- like like really it looks almost like a deep rosé, but it is so full of flavor that you can't Oh yeah, that KJ Watson is really good. It would have made it would make my top 10. 
probably my top seven. But I mean, it was I really like that. But the KJ that they do with that, and that, that obviously is from Niagara, uh, Niagara Fruit. Uh, number three would probably be the Kinte uh, 2014 Portage Chardonnay. I really like that one. Uh, 25 bucks, uh, not over oaked. Uh, just it's a fruit driven Chardonnay with just at the back end, there's a nice creamy finish that, that I really dug. That's my that's my kind of Chardonnay. I think that would have made my top front, five as well. A little bit of oak underneath. That definitely would have made my top five. Really? Yeah. Oh, I really like that one. That's one I'd probably drink all summer long. And in fact, when I go to the county this summer, that's probably one I'm going to buy and drink a lot of. So, uh, of course, Norman Hardy is known for Chardonnays and Pinot Noirs. But uh, one of the wines that I love year in, year out is his Riesling. And the 2015 Riesling is stunning. Crisp, green apple, lemon, lime, touch of sweetness, great minerality. It's just an outstanding wine. really is. Yeah, that one's okay. I don't think that one made my, made my top ten. See, I'm telling you, that glassware just did no favors to these wines. Uh, but again, I, I can get off on a rant on glassware. Uh, my final wine, believe it or not, uh, is, a, I guess, a newcomer to the county, uh, Trainer Family Vineyard. Uh, I really liked his Chardonnay, and unfortunately, I didn't. Ha- he doesn't have a year here on my list, so I'm going to have to look it up. But uh, no oak, but a lot of lees. He kept it on the lees for about a year, and that's given it a nice creamy vanilla butteriness without giving it that oak. And then again, lots and lots of fruit, lots of apple, um, and, a, and a subtle tartness that's that's really nice. So I really like that one too. So that's my top five from the county and the city. Well, and I should say, like the the fun thing about the the uh, the consumer event was it was really well attended. Um, I don't think it was as crazy as what I heard happened in California, but the uh, the venue was packed. And yep. I hope next year they maybe pick a slightly larger venue. Like last year when they did it at airship um there was still some room to move around like everything was on one floor and it was nice and spread out so it certainly didn't feel like it was cramped with this i mean it was in it was in a church so and it was on two floors if i'm not mistaken yeah, yeah so it felt, yeah. It, it, it felt a little hard to to move around by the end of the evening well but you know there's that that's really good sign though because that means that there's a lot of interest uh for the county wines and i think that's really good for them that is a good thing I think we can wrap it up. I think we can too. That's uh, we covered a lot of ground in this in this podcast. We we did, we did. Uh, so I'm Michael Pincus from MichaelPincusWineReview.com, and uh, my co-host is always Andre Pru from AndreWineReview.ca. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and uh, make sure to tune in every two weeks when we release a new episode. And we continue to be two guys talking wine. Good night. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe at twoguystalkingwine.com.